Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Before we moved to Orlando and we lived at uh, our house in Maine, Kat had a pretty extensive bird feeder set up, mostly to feed the squirrels. No, I know where this is going. But um, she loves watching. She, she's obsessed with birds. I'm not obsessed with birds. You're totally obsessed with birds. But we live in a high rise now in downtown Orlando, and there's not a lot of opportunity for bird feeders. But Kat has come up with a, um, a solution. This morning, she zip tied a piece of bread to our balcony railing and then sat there cross-legged looking out the window like a child waiting for Santa. It was adorable. I just thought that they might like that is all. And I was also, I mean, I was working. I was doing stuff Uh while I was sitting in that chair. I mean, I wasn't just staring. You miss your bird feeder, though, don't you? I really do, yeah. Every once in a while, she'll just blurt out a random question. We'll be sitting there each reading something, and she'll just go, do you think hummingbirds come up 12 stories? The thing is, I don't think our apartment building neighbors would like it very much if I got bird feeders. No, I don't think so either. Probably they don't love zip-tied bread to the balcony railing either, but, uh, you know, we all make sacrifices. We've talked about this before in downtown Orlando. They have a problem in the summer times, especially with turkey vultures mm. that uh, they, they use the thermal updrafts between the big buildings to uh, stay aloft. Unfortunately, they end up throwing up on uh, the buildings and pedestrians, <laughs> which is never pleasant. I've never seen it, though. And they do a good job keeping the roadkill off the interstate, but uh, I'm concerned that Kat's going to zip tie a dead skunk to our balcony in order to attract them. You know that would never happen. No, in I, fact, no, I you're don't. So, <laughs> you're so sweet that one time you drove home at speeds beyond what I think Glenburn police would deem appropriate mm-hmm. um, so that you could scrape a dead cat off the road before I drove home and had the opportunity to see it. And I only know about it because one of the neighbors mentioned it to me. <laughs> and you were like, why would you tell her that? <laughs> 
I thought that was awfully sweet. So you promise no roadkill zip tied to the balcony, just bread? I promise. Okay, good. Well, this week here in the U.S. is the week that U.S. federal income tax was due. So I thought it might be interesting to take a look at some of the stranger taxes that have been enforced in the past and uh, some that are still on the books today. Well, that's fun. Starting with the state of Colorado. In Colorado, if you want a lid on your coffee, it's subject to a non-essential packaging tax of 2.9%. In other words, in Colorado, if you buy a coffee, the cup's considered essential, but the lid is not. Fair enough. Neither are straws, cup sleeves, uh, stir sticks, or those little cardboard carriers. But that, you know, that, that's one tax I'm not going to complain about because when I need my coffee, I'll pay whatever it takes. Yeah, but I disagree that a carrier isn't necessary. I disagree that a lid isn't essential. Really? Because I don't like lids. I don't like the, first of all, I don't like the idea that I have to put my mouth all over a piece of plastic that I don't know where it's come from. Uh Um, But two, like, I don't trust them ever. Mm. So I always feel like that coffee is going to end up flying out at me anyway. So often I'll take the lid off anyway. There's a similar tax in Chicago, one that requires uh, some critical thinking skills and a clear soda pop buying strategy (laughs) to stay ahead of the game. Okay. It's better in Chicago if you drink soda pop to drink it from a can as opposed to- Since when do you call it soda pop? Well, what are you doing? Well, because um, because some people call it soda, we call it soda, uh-huh. right? Right. And in I think like places like Minnesota, right? They they just call it pop. Yeah, in Michigan they call it pop. Pop. Yeah. Okay. And so I just thought I would include both words, soda pop. Would it would it make you feel better if I use the term soft drink? No, that's my least favorite term. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll just call it soda then. It's cheaper to buy soda and drink it from a can than it is to buy a fountain drink. And in my opinion, I'd rather do that anyway, because my experience dictates that fountain soft drinks are inconsistent. The reason that it's a better financial strategy to buy cans rather than fountain drinks in Chicago is that cans carry a 3% tax, but the syrup that's used to make the fountain sodas is taxed at 9%, three times as high. I agree with you totally on the fountain soda thing. If you get a really good fountain soda, it's incredible, but it's so inconsistent that, no, 100%, I would go for a bottle first. We ordered pizza one night and some soft drinks, or pop, as you like to call it. I do not like to call it that. They came, they were fountain drinks. We didn't realize it. If we had known they were fountain drinks, we wouldn't have done it. it. But we get these two large fountain drinks of Coke, and it's totally flat. Flat. Mm. So we actually have one of those like soda stream type carbonators. We had to recarbonate our own fountain drinks, <laughs> but at least we had that option. It's one of the least weird things that we've carbonated. So. That's true. Bourbon, I think, was one of my most proud moments when I carbonated bourbon. Yeah, that was a weird night. I remember being so confused when a out-of-state family was dining at the restaurant I used to serve at. And uh, they all requested Cokes and then were upset when I brought them Cokes because they meant Sprite. And I was like, what, what even? <laughs> like, I, because I didn't think to ask what kind of Coke, because that's not a thing that I would ever ask. Wow. Is that a thing? Yeah, they call all soda Coke. Wow. And then you have to specify which kind of Coke you want. I see. And well, they, they might mean... Mountain Dew. Well done, Coca-Cola marketing it's department. very confusing. 
It's like people calling disposable tissues Kleenex. Right, exactly. Or Q-tips. Or Band-Aids. In California, they're known for their high taxes. Of course, that's no secret. But here's one you might not be aware of. In California, they have slapped a 33% tax on vending machine items, including fruit. So if you wow. if you buy a banana out of a vending machine, and I don't know why you would want to do that, <laughs> but it's subject to a 33% tax. Wow, that seems excessive. There are certain foods that I just won't buy from a vending machine. Sure. Years ago, I bought a, <laughs> I bought a, I bought a tuna fish sandwich from a vending machine at a gas station. Uh, we were on a road trip. I only got about three exits down the highway before I had to pull over. Oh, that was a mistake. Wow, I'm glad never, we were not together at that moment. Never, never buy a vending machine tuna fish sandwich at a gas station. Those are my words of advice to you. In New York, if you walk into a bagel shop and you order a bagel, they'll charge you roughly eight cents if you want it sliced. Oh. Sliced bagels are taxed. Non-sliced bagels are not taxed. Okay, because it's the difference between like a grocery item and a hot food item. Well, yeah. Like a serviced a service food item. Once you slice the bagel, it's mm. considered prepared. Prepared. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Prepared restaurant foods. Um, that makes about as much sense to me as the cruise ship charging a corking fee on wine that they have allowed you to bring onto the ship. Yeah, you can bring a bottle of champagne on. But if you open it outside your cabin, we're going to charge you 40 bucks. <laughs> now, in Indiana, there's a tax on marshmallows. All marshmallows? Technically, it's a candy tax. But state legislators have decided that marshmallows should be considered candy. Hence, the marshmallow tax. Interestingly, though, marshmallow fluff or mm -hmm. marshmallow cream sure. is not taxed. No, that's a grocery item. The only difference really is the shape. Because you can buy marshmallows in the baking aisle at your grocery store, but that's taxed if it's in marshmallow shape. Growing up in northern Maine, fluff and utter sandwiches, that was all the rage. The marshmallow cream with peanut butter. Yeah, I haven't had a fluff sandwich in, uh, I would say, decades. We should, we should get some fluff. I used to have a rat named Fluffanutter. You wouldn't put him in a sandwich, though. I never would, no. Or, or zip tie him to the balcony railing. Why would you even say that? In South Dakota, they have what's called, quote, a special tax. Special? Yeah, that's, okay. that's what it's I was called. described that way many times <laughs> in my youth. You're taxing in a very special way. Mm -hmm. The special tax is for all recreational items. And so that includes... Alcohol, cigarettes, gaming, precious gems, and all amusement devices like you'll find. Yeah, like Cornhole? That would be probably, yes. Tetherball? Anything you could find in an arcade. Horseshoes? And croquet? Too many? Was yeah. croquet too many? Yeah, it was way too many. Not croquet, but coin-operated laundry machines. That's not an amusement. Yeah, apparently coin-operated laundry machines are considered amusement devices mm. by the state of South Dakota. In Washington state, there's a dance tax. They tax any venue where you might have the opportunity to dance. If Even if there's just an area large enough to dance in, they consider it a dance floor and uh, you're going to pay it. They're going to tax you. Is is Washington where the movie Footloose was set? <laughs> the law was repealed in the year 2013 after 
protesters burst into a legislative meeting and salsa danced until they did. <laughs> That's <But> how all <laughs> disagreements should be settled. Yep. Salsa dancing. Yep. A dance protest. I love it. But the repeal expired in 2017, so the law is back in effect. <laughs> Connecticut at one time taxed disposable diapers as if they're not expensive enough. The state considered baby diapers clothing, uh, so they were subject to an additional clothing sales tax. Adult diapers, however, were exempt. Um, I don't know. They reversed this law in 2018. I wonder I wonder if that was due to a protest at a legislative session where new parents came in and just changed their babies nonstop in front of the legislators, just tossing the used diapers in front of the podium until they piled up and buried them. Oh. I th I've thought too much about that this. That got graphic. Over in Maryland, they tax you for flushing your toilet. The cost of flushing your toilet in Maryland averages most residents approximately 60 bucks a year. Now, doesn't it seem better to, instead of taxing you to flush the toilet, fine you for not flushing the toilet? I'm talking incentive-based revenue here. Did you know that if you are a man and you're between the ages of 21 and 50 and you're single in the state of Missouri, you're subject to a bachelor tax? What? Yeah, in addition to all other state and local taxes, if you fall into that demographic category, your price of freedom is about a dollar a year. Why? I don't know. They This tax was enacted in 1821, and although it is rarely imposed, it is still a law technically on the books. But what is, I don't understand, though. This tax was enacted in 1821, and although it's it's rarely imposed. The law is still technically on the books. But what's the benefit? What's the, I, I mean, I no, I mean, I get money is the benefit, but what's the logic there? I have no idea. Clearly they were, okay, maybe it's this. They were incentivizing marriage because in those days, in order to have kids, you had to be married. Allegedly. And Allegedly. <laughs> and um, farming and agriculture was the main economic source at the time. Mm -hmm. And you needed kids to help run the farm. I, I mean, that's fine. That's a great response. Well done. This one's going to make you angry. Alabama has a tax on tattoos, also body piercings and electrolysis. Okay. If you want to modify your body, you're subject to an additional 6% sales tax. I'm okay with that as long as tattoo removal is also taxed. Probably would be. I would think so. If That's electrolysis fine. is, then. <laughs> also in Alabama, they have a playing card tax. Any deck of cards with 54 cards or less is subject to a 10% playing card tax. You know, if I were a playing card manufacturing company, mm -hmm. I would issue a 56-card deck yeah. with just a couple of blank cards in it to avoid the 10% sales tax Absolutely. In, in Alabama. In Nevada, however, the state uses decks of cards as an incentive to file your taxes, which makes sense, it being Nevada and Las Vegas. The state will give you a free deck of cards when you file your tax return. That's so cute. I like that idea, not just, you know, to incentivize gambling, um, but like, I think each state should pick like a thing that they want to yeah. promote. And then it, when you pay your taxes, you get something like, you know, in Maine, it would be like, here's a pound of potatoes or <laughs> here's some meth. But, um, <laughs> sorry. No. 
Texas has a cowboy tax. This one's a little hard to follow. Okay. Belt buckles in Texas are subject to taxation. Okay, that makes sense. But if you buy one that's attached to a belt, or you buy a pair of cowboy boots to match those items, that's tax-free. So, okay, but, okay, I'm sorry. Is the belt buckle tax-free if you also buy boots? No. Or what you're saying is the boots are tax-free, but belt buckles are not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, belt buckles are superfluous, right? I suppose. I guess that's uh, up to debate. But it's weird that, you you know, if you buy it separately, it's taxed. But if it's attached to a strip of leather or cloth, it's fine. Well, it makes perfect sense. You need a belt. Belts are important for keeping the pants (laughs) up. Belt buckles, however, are just jewelry for your waist. There were also strange taxes in history as well. Peter the Great in Russia taxed beards. In 1698, he was very concerned that Russia was falling behind Western Europe's uh, fashion trends for cleaner (laughs) shaving. Okay. So he imposed an annual beard tax. Peasants could wear a beard for just a couple of kopecks a year. Now, I'm sorry, were you taxed on the day that taxes were collected? Or could you like shave before tax day? Or was it like a year-round monitoring situation? You had to pay in advance. If if you were wealthy, it was much more expensive. It was 100 rubles a year to wear a beard. Wow. So what happened if you had a beard and you did not pay your taxes? Well, well, the police would detain you and forcibly shave you. Oh, uh, that's awful. You had to prove that you had paid your beard tax. And in order to do that, uh, once you did pay, they gave you a little copper token to carry around. Your beard token. Your beard token. And finally, in ancient Rome, they taxed piss. That's right, a urine tax. We've talked a little bit about this. Urine was greatly sought after in those days. Um, They used it to uh, tan leather and... Whiten teeth. Yes, that is so weird that they did that. (laughs) They whitened their teeth with pee. And pee was so much in demand that they put pots, piss pots, if you will, out on the streets. And if you were out doing your shopping and you had to go, you just, you know, went right there on the street. And they would collect it and utilize it. They would for teeth whitening, among other things. I wonder if there were ever signs put up like, if you've had asparagus in the past 24 hours, (laughs) please do not use this pot. Yeah, there's a separate pot. For you, Emperor Vespasian put a tax on urine that was to be paid by all purchasers of that public pee. If you bought the urine from those pots, mm-hmm. you had to pay a tax on it. Incidentally, he died in 79 CE, CE from uh, explosive diarrhea while, <laughs> while muttering to himself, quote, Dear me, I think I'm becoming a god. I hope that that's what I think when I'm dying. <laughs> oh, looks like it's god time. Here I go. So as you file and pay your taxes this year, count your blessings. Number one, they don't tax your urine yet. And number two, they don't tax your number twos <laughs> yet. Nor do you have to use urine to whiten your teeth. My source information, Mental Floss, TurboTax, WellFit, WealthFit.com and BuzzFeed. Fun. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. When one of the founding fathers of the United States, Ben Franklin, died, he left $2,000 to the cities of Philadelphia and Boston in his will. The idea was to help young tradesmen, but he stipulated that the balance could not be drawn on for 200 years. In 1990, it was worth $6.5 million. The money's been used to help fund scholarships, women's health, and to help disabled children. We love hearing from you guys, whether it's on social media or email, the box of oddity. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is our email that we've used for several years God, now. I know. 
Receive this one. Good morning. Writing this as I'm listening to the end of episode 419. You're talking about Napoleon and his troops being to blame for the Sphinx's nose no longer being on his face. Current theory is that uh, it was desecrated a couple of centuries earlier as an act of iconoclasm. The Sphinx is a pretty cool structure. There's a hole in the top of its head, and some claim that somebody in the hole can make it sound like the Sphinx is speaking. Ooh. Ooh, That's cool, like a giant masonry puppet. Others say the hole was uh, an anchor point for a giant crown in the past, but I prefer the Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain story or the Sphinx speaking. Yes, I I do too. Yeah, what a cool way to like control the population. (laughs) The Sphinx also has an ass passage of unknown origin. Mm. Keep up the great work with the pod. Most of what I listen to is current events, so it's nice to have a bit of a lighthearted break from the news. Indeed. Mm. I want to know where the Sphinx's ass passage goes. I think you know. Well, I can imagine. In fact, I'm doing it now. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. They've been married longer than they've been doing this podcast, and they're still talking to each other. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth continue with The Box of Oddities. All right. So the odds of being bitten by a shark are about 1 in 3,748,067. That's why I never go into the ocean above my waist. (laughs) The odds of being bitten by a venomous snake in the U.S. are estimated about 1 in 37,500. That's why I never go out doors in Florida without combat boots. And monkey bites are surprisingly common around the world. They account for up to 20% of all animal bite injuries, according to the World Health Organization. Totally worth it. (laughs) I want to tell you about Eric Nori. Now, as a 10-year-old in Seminole, Florida, Eric was blown off his feet when an oak tree that he was standing under 
was hit by a bolt of lightning Holy during a storm. It's terrifying. Now, over the last few months, I've learned a lot about storms here in Florida, <laughs> and uh, I did not know. I think four days ago, we experienced thunder and lightning like I have never seen slash heard before in my life. Yeah, it gets pretty violent. It was rattling the screens on our windows. It was crazy. Anyway. Years later, Eric was walking with pals at the Seminole Lake Country Club and was bit by a rattlesnake. Oh my God. He had to spend two weeks in intensive care and he nearly lost his right leg. So the dude is hit by lightning, mm -hmm. then bitten by a venomous snake. Yeah, about three years later. Wow. Then, as an adult, he was on a work trip to Brazil, and he apparently wandered too close to a monkey in the Amazon, <laughs> and that resulted in that monkey punching him in the head. <laughs> oh. No. Yeah. He was okay. Years later, in Honduras, his wife uh, thought it would be funny to lock him in a cage with a monkey, and that monkey also attacked him, bit him, and threw his own keys at him him <laughs> well i can agree with the wife on that uh that is hilarious <laughs> that brings us to 2013 eric lives in florida but he was vacationing with family in the abaco islands uh, that are a group of islands and barrier caves in the northern bahamas just east of southern florida so eric and his wife spring their four daughters and his father-in-law were out snorkeling and spear fishing in the ocean he was standing in about five feet of water and he just caught a grouper when he said i felt this tremendous power hit my leg it was a shark <sighs> Of course, Eric launched himself away from the shark. He managed to get away. But when he looked back, he saw the shark ripping off the side of his leg. No, no. He was shaking it in his head and eating it, Eric said. Was it the same leg that the snake bit? Unclear. Okay. Eric threw the spear that he was using down with the fish because uh, at this point, blood was starting to pool in the ocean and the shark was swimming around mm. in the blood, mm. sort of uh, looking for more, if you will. So he thought, maybe if I drop this grouper, the shark will be interested in that question mark. Eric's father-in-law jumped in the water between the shark and his injured friend, I I assume they're friends because they're vacationing together. Yeah, well, um, one would assume. Yeah, and anyway, um, and they made their way to a sandbar where Eric fashioned a tourniquet using part of his Hawaiian sling spears, like the elastics mm. that are part of that, um, in hopes to stem the flow of blood while his family called for help over the radio. Eric said there was blood squirting in three directions, <laughs> like a pumping heartbeat squirt. Squirt, squirt. No. Luckily, there was a doctor nearby who was from San Diego, and he arrived to help Mr. Nori to a local hospital. Eric said at this point he thought he was going to die, that it was he was in terrible pain. And at the Marsh Harbor Hospital, they were able to stabilize him. Then he was flown by helicopter to Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami, where he underwent surgery. Wow. Because a giant chunk of his leg was missing. From there, he was taken to Tampa General Hospital for multiple skin graft surgeries. They were taking hunks of flesh from his thigh and grafting them into his calf. Mm. 
Now, Eric said he didn't get a good enough look at the shark that attacked him in order to identify it, but an expert who examined the wound figured that probably it was a sandbar shark. Well, it makes sense. They were on a sandbar. Sure. It's not always the way it works, though. <laughs> I was bitten by an Alaskan Malamute once in Maine, so, you know. People have never been bitten by bull sharks at a rodeo. <laughs> Can we keep this going? <laughs> no, I think we're done here. Okay. The first time Eric tried to take a step, of course, missing a chunk of his leg, he was not able mm. to. But eventually, he relearned the motion of steps, but now has a, a pretty dramatically different gait. He approached his rehabilitation, though, with a sense of humor. He said what he experienced was called the shark bite diet. You can lose up to two pounds in just three <laughs> seconds. Well, that's great that he's got a sense of humor about it. <laughs> Eric had been fishing his whole life, so he was excited to get back in the water. And as soon as the doctors would let him, he did. And by October, he was heading back to the Bahamas. You see, all I need to see is a shark fin on the horizon, and I will never go into the ocean again. I can only do it now by lying to myself and, and, and telling my brain there are no sharks. They don't like it here. They hate this place. Yeah. This is where you and I are very different. You'd be out there with a chunk of that guy's leg going. And a zip tie. So just months after the incident, Eric and his family and a few of his friends went back to the Bahamas. But it wasn't for a vacation. He went on a mission. Eric went back to the place where the shark had taken a bite out of his left calf in August, and he planned to catch that same shark and release it as a symbol of forgiveness. Oh, Yeah, yeah. When Eric and company arrived at the spot where he was going to start this shark hunt, he said, it was pretty emotional. As I went up on the island, I knelt down. I just felt like God was saying to me, you really don't have to catch this shark. Mm. And so Eric went back to his friends who like were amped, I'm sure, about this adventure. Like, we're going to go get that shark, right? <laughs> um, but he was like, yeah, we're, I guess we're not going to do this. This just feels silly. And so they didn't. Like, he was like, I'm over it. <laughs> Whatevs. And <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Which I love that ability to just change your mind and not be like worried about what everyone who else who was excited about this adventure was going to say. He was just like, no, I guess I don't need to do this. <laughs> and I adore that. Eric is writing a book and he hopes to relate his attack to themes of conquering adversity. And he's a very uh, religious man and he attributes a lot of his strength through this process to his faith. Uh, but he says that we all have sharks in our lives oh, that we need to forgive. That's beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that nice? See, now, if I were him, I love the idea of going and catching the shark and then releasing it as an act of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I understand that he transcended that point um, and just went right to the forgiveness. Yeah. He's a better man than I. I. I wouldn't do the shark any harm, but I would catch it, give it a stern talking to, mm -hmm. and then kiss it on the nose and let it go. <laughs> but you'd have to do like the dad talk first. Yeah. Listen, Yeah. this is not what we do. Don't make me pull the ocean over. <laughs> So uh, 
I guess after monkey punches and lightning strikes and snake bites and now shark attack, mm. uh, this guy is either one of the luckiest people I know of or unluckiest. I can't decide. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Mm. I, I think that uh, that it all goes back to your your level of optimism as a human being. Yeah, your perspective. I got most of my information from Orlando Sentinel, Tampa Bay Times. The Daily News, Huffington Post, and Daily Mail. I just adore that attitude. Yeah, that's something we can all learn from, for sure. So next time that you're considering being rude to your barista at uh, Starbucks for forgetting the soy milk, remember the guy in the shark. <laughs> right. <laughs> Come on, people. Also remember that... <laughs> see, segue. Mm. Um, also remember that 10% of our... Support on Patreon goes to charity, and the new philanthropy post has been posted, and so we are waiting for your votes so we can decide who's going to be getting that dough this month. Those who are supporters, they're patrons, they're members of what we call the Order of Freaks, and the Order of Freaks decides where 10% of all that money goes every single month. If you're not yet a member of the Order of Freaks, you want to get... Uh, episodes ad-free and a bunch of other stuff, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com and click on the support this podcast link. And we appreciate you guys so much. Love you. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story the big picture questions, and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.